This is an ASCII Live media production for the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles official podcast channel. G'day, Steve Menzies here, and this is the Seagulls Business Podcast, hosted by Seagulls Commercial Manager Ben Brody and Chief Commercial Officer Luke Tucker. Each week, Ben and Luke will be joined by Seagulls Corporate Partners and other special guests to chat about all things business. And of course, a bit of footy. The Seagulls Business Podcast is proudly presented by Manly Media Partner, ASCII Live Media. Now, let's get down to business. Thanks, Beaver, and hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Sea Eagles Business Podcast, proudly presented by our media partner, ASCII Live Media. I'm Ben Brody, Commercial Manager at the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles, and I'm joined by my co-host and Chief Commercial Officer of the Sea Eagles, Luke Tucker. Welcome, Luke. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here. Looking forward to today's chat. Yeah, it's a new one, and it's an exciting one for us today because we are joined by majority co-owner of the Manly Sea Eagles, Rick Penn. Welcome, Rick. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Luke. It's an absolute pleasure uh, to have you here today, and uh, we obviously know a little bit about your son, Scott, who, uh, when there is news around Manly Seagulls, he's the one who gets interviewed. But Rick, yourself and your wife, Heather, are the ones who sort of stand in the background and let uh, let Scott take all the public light and get asked all the tough questions, so to speak. So it's a real thrill for Luke and I to have you here in the studios today. Thanks a lot, Ben. It's a pleasure. The way we sort of go through these things is we want to get an understanding of who you are as a person, your connection to the club and your uh, your business and commercial history. So I'd say probably the best way for us to start here today is um, is from the start. So Rick, you grew up, your parents were, your father was a, uh, a pilot, your mother was an actress. Can you tell us a little bit about your life after school, how you got into your career and um, and how life went from there. Pleasure, yeah. Actually, the school the school part uh, starting at as fifteen year old um, that was probably had a lot to do with it because I went to Knox and the day after did my intermediate fifteen uh, it was back to nineteen sixty. Um, I went to England for four years, and uh, my gosh, I hadn't been really out of the country. It was a knockout for me. Um, I could have, I should have gone to boarding school over there. That's where they wanted to. But you know, I had the opportunity with Dad flying to Rome and Athens and that on a weekend. If he was flying there, I could fly with him. So I thought, well, I'm not going to go to boarding school. I'll never get the chance to do that. My sister went to a pretty, pretty prestigious school over there, but I just went to Strode's Grammar and uh, I did my O levels and A levels. I was never great, that great at sport, but I actually played hockey there and did all sorts of things, things I'd never played before. I was captain of the tennis, uh, you know, a good Aussie tennis player and uh, enjoyed that. But at, at 19, interesting enough, I think one of the interesting things for young people, I was going to go, I wanted to be an architect. Mm. Then I went to an architect's office for three weeks and I sat in a row of seats of 30 people and I said to myself, I can't do this. I could not sit here. for." Th-. So I decided, I said to my mum and dad, I'm going to go back to Australia. So I went back uh, six months ahead of them. And I went back. I actually went to McCann Erickson, Handsome Rivers McCann Erickson. Went there in a suit. I should have gone there in my jeans because I was quite creative. <laughs> but they saw me as an account service person. Oh, no, no. Actually, funnily enough, to start with in those days at 17 after school, because I did seven years of secondary school, 
with England A-levels, A but in Australia, you left after five years, you're leaving. And you had to go in an advertising agency. Then you went straight into the dispatch. You were a dispatch boy. Uh, being two years older, I went straight into, um, I was a projectionist. But for a year or so, well, not even a year actually, I had Bryce Courtney doing all these commercials. Right. He was creative director. And I used to splice the commercials there and see them, what they were doing. And it was fantastic. But then they, then they said, okay, you should be, you know, you're not creative. I want you to be, this is what they said, I want your account service. <laughs> That's a nice compliment. Right. So they, because you came in a suit, your account service. So they, I actually, as a young fellow, 20 years of age, I was running Chiquito, Chiquito and Kokomo, the, the, uh, the, the, um, uh, Nestle's products. Yeah. And uh, at 21, I was doing that. And then I created the Chiquito Key Chase. We to UW using the number one radio station those mm -hmm. days. Uh, if you're on the corner of such and such a street and uh, you've got a Chiquito, you've opened the, you're given a key and see if you can open this car. And if you open the car and it's right, you get the car. That, was a my, that would have been, my, been a Brookvale Mitsubishi, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Probably what? Yeah. yeah, right. Well, my wife was the um, uh, sort of, my wife was helping out the uh, sales manager to UW at the time. And I met her there. I met her through it. And uh, we actually got engaged. And then, would you believe it, out of the blue, Coca-Cola, who are our biggest clients, said, listen, they wanted me to come over. Is that, they just want to headhunt me. Is it right. Assistant an Advertising Manager. I'm, I'm getting visions of Mad Men here well, and Don Draper. Yeah, I know. But isn't it funny, you know, how lucky I was. As a post, and I think this might be true of a lot of people, as a post-war baby, a 45 baby, the next level of talent beyond me at, let's say, 21, 22, was a 30-year-old. Mm. We mm. we were quite lucky to have those opportunities. But anyway, of Coke, course. Coke wanted to bring me across. And would you believe my wife working for the sales manager 2W, they wanted him as well. She thought it was the same job. It ended up not being the same. And she didn't tell me. She didn't tell him about that either. In the end, we both went. He went as sales manager. I went as, um, wow. I went as assistant, assistant uh, advertising manager. Um, what is I'm, a, I'm very big on sliding doors, mm -hmm. sliding doors of life. It's amazing, and I'm sure all the listeners will probably have their own sliding doors, but it's amazing what, when you have, if you think back on your life and you look at, oh my God, that opportunity arose, I either I took it or I didn't take it, and it creates different pathways. Yeah, or you could have been doing something else that day, oh. and it could have been totally different. You, you could have worn jeans to work, and you would have been stuck <laughs> yeah. at where you were. No, I, I could have made, maybe I would have been creative director, I don't know, <laughs> take it over from Bryce. No, but I don't think so. The greatest sliding door in 19, uh, 1972, I think it was, yes, 1972, I'd spent six months up in Indonesia and uh, running, running, I had a Japanese bottler up there, and I was running the operation up there. For, you know, for a period of time. And when I came back in those days, the international president wanted me to be the manager up there. He said, and we had a one, we had uh, Mark and Scott, one and two-year-old mm -hmm. boys. And my dad only had probably another five years to go before he retired. And we were always, in those days, they'd be away two weeks. you know. And mum, I'd always have mum up for a baked dinner just to settle her in and what have you. So I thought, oh, no. And oh, sorry, the guy that ran Australia said, Rick, you're not to go. Mm. With the medical facilities up in Indonesia, my God, don't go because you've got one and two-year-olds. And so I put it all together. And he said, also, I want you to be research manager, Coke. Oh, I thought, okay, that's interesting. So for all those reasons, I didn't go. Mm. Do you know the guy that went, Doug Daft is his name, he ended up being CEO and chairman of Coca-Cola worldwide. 
over many years, probably Gosh. 15 years. Yeah. But he – and you know what? Out of all the people, if you took like, like 25 to 30-year-old people in, the, in there, I would have seen him probably being the last one that I would have mm. thought would be successful. But dealing – I've worked, always worked with American companies. Now, I'm not a politician by any means. In no way it could be – I'm an outcomes-oriented person. I've done well with American companies. I've driven them and I've, I've – but, but – uh, actually, Doug was a actually interesting enough. Doug was a background of uh, teacher, and um, a little bit like Des. Des mm. being a, I think that te- for some people that succeed, there's other people like Des out there. Well, no. <laughs> well, interesting enough, there's something there where you've had a teaching background, and you have gone another course, you know, something else. Some of those people have actually obviously benefited from it for personality-wise. Yeah. I don't know in terms of relationship. Anyway, I just thought it was a, as a sliding door. And I would not change a thing. I would not change a thing of my life. I'm so thrilled I've gone down the pathway I've gone, which really suits my personality and mm. what my dri- my driving is as opposed to – but, you know, we had a situation with two people, one. Yeah, you did. But, you know, that's that's a big statement to make to suggest that, you know – Potentially being the CEO of Coca-Cola International, you're so happy with your life. So where did it go from there? What went from there? I was with Coke for 10 years and I did did, um, all sorts of things uh, and I haven't got time today to tell you about some of the things from what America wanted to achieve with it's the real thing and we did things Mm. go better with Coke. Oh, my God. And I became chairman of the Market Research Society in New South Wales with with that side. But then then in the late 70s, I wanted to run my own – Marketing agency, so I set up Logo Motive, and I had a two-year, a two-year role uh, contract with Coke, and I set up Boot Home the Coke. So you go to your petrol. I came up with the whole idea. Come to your petrol bowser there, and uh, and uh, in those days you had TBA tires, batteries, and and accessories, and you could actually put all that on your account if you're a salesman or something. So you right. put you put the you put the case of Coke in the in the boot. It didn't work in America because boots not what they call it. But <laughs> boot home the coat. That was great. And then, and then I decided I really wanted to get back into advertising. So I joined J. Walter Thompson. Right. And I had the Fairfax account. I had quite a group in my uh, in my area. Um, and then this is where my a life changer. One of my clients was Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. the hell is that about? My God, Weight Watchers. So as a good marketing guy. I got stuck into it. I got into it. I fell in love with it. Mm. I fell in love with people making the best of themselves and group support. My gosh, we we need, we can do something really sensational with group support. And uh, it was been fantastic. So then on the 15th of December, 1980, I knocked on the owner's door of the franchise. I'd never met him. He'd had a heart, heart problem in uh, Hawaii. And I said, um, I said, what are you going to do with the lifetime members? And I said, I see in America, they've got aerobics. Why don't we bring aerobics to Australia? So in January, I put my house basically as collateral Mm. and set up and I went across to America. I looked at all the other products over there, but I actually brought back Jackie Sorensen's aerobic dancing. It's a 12-week course. I really liked it. I liked it. It had what the market really needed, perhaps not exactly what it wanted initially, but what it needed. So I brought that and then... And then I uh, started that off, and uh, it was pretty pretty successful in George Street, and uh, you know it was it was all good. And then, but then uh, Jenny Craig came for out to Australia, and uh, after a couple of years, uh, the owner of the franchise said, "Rick, would I come over as CEO?" The business Weight Watchers are going backwards, and I said, "Sure, okay." I went. I, I understood why. 
because the previous CEO closed down all the meetings. He was closed. When Jenny Craig came in, let's say at Chatswood, mm. she started up a, uh, an outlet there. And if he was in five churches, if they're in five churches, if they weren't getting to a certain number, they started closing it down. I came in. I opened them all up. I said, Jenny Craig is nothing like that. She's selling food. We're a totally different organization. And uh, to cut a long story short, I was there for about 25 years. Heinz, Heinz, this, this chap actually sold out yeah. to Heinz. Heinz owns Weight Watchers, owned mm -hmm. Weight Watchers worldwide. I went to partnership with Heinz, only one in the world. I became the first, uh, first president of the Weight Watchers Franchisee Association throughout the world internationally. And uh, we, we took it to, with 3%, I sold it on behalf of Heinz in New York. I sold it in 1999 because they wanted to get out. And we were, with 3% of the world's population, we were one-third of the world profit. 96,000 people coming a week. So it just shows what Australia can do. We have some of the best marketing people in the world, mm. even to the point there's an, my Aussie guy, Doug Daft, you know, chairman, uh, the, the chap that used to run McDonald's in America. We have a situation in Australia. We're sort of in between Britain and the commercialization of America. But we, when you've got 25 million people in the same landmass as America, you've got to think differently. Yeah. And we think differently. We are, we're bloody smart. And unfortunately, we don't always have the capital yes. to back our ideas. And that's one of us where, and that's why so many ideas go to America. They're Australian ideas, but they're capitalized in America because. We don't have the capital here. So in 1999, sold out. The new people that bought it wanted me to, wanted me to run it. But uh, I was chairman of the on, online part of uh, Weight Watchers for some time. And basically, we sort of pulled out by about 2004. About 2004. And then my son, I, I, and I brought Scott. Scott, in the period of time that I'd sold it, brought Scott in as uh, CEO. In mm -hmm. Australia, and that's uh, and then we then we we basically sold out in the end, and um, and of course Scott has carried on with the uh, the CSI Road Total Wellbeing Diet, and he's mm -hmm. really creating quite a uh, quite a big. And he's in New York now, and uh, you know, Australia and New York, of course, but he's got the diet score and some exciting mm -hmm. things. And then I went with Heath, and Heath was with me all the way, by the way. Heath was with me all the way through that. She used to be on television doing the aerobic dancing from, oh, my God, things that she did outside of what she wanted to do. It's not, she's not naturally, she's the most talented person in the world. She should be, a, if ScoMo wasn't doing such a good job, I'd have her as prime minister. <laughs> but she should be out there. She's got a great voice, but she doesn't want to, pro she doesn't want to promote herself like that. I hear she may be a guest on the Seagulls Business Podcast uh, one you, day. You need her. You need her. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get, we, we need your help getting scoring that guest. Yeah, yeah. It may not be so good for me. Actually, we just celebrated <laughs> our 52nd wedding anniversary. Uh, congratulations. A few weeks ago, so it's kind of, kind of fun. But anyway, so from the beginning, let's say by about 2004, we then started getting more in the philanthropic area. And I've always been uh, – I've sort of come up with an idea of three Cs, charity, community, and commerce. Mm -hmm. And with charity, that's a lot of your foundation money. Community is my seagulls involvement. I'm not looking at making money, but I want to lose money. Mm -hmm. And commerce is what percentage return do you want on your investments? And I'm only around about the six, eight to 10%. I'm not, you know, long term. So we've put the last 14 or last 16 years, we've had a, we've really been putting our uh, efforts. I'm chairman of Bowel Cancer Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're a, a patron of Bowel Cancer Australia. I am sorry. Now I'm patron of um, Outcomes Australia, which is Share Life. Yeah, 
and all that kind of stuff. And as you can hear in the background, there goes the siren for half time. I think a perfect way to have a little bit of a break, go to the sheds, hear what Des has to say, uh, regroup ourselves and come back because you did touch on the Manly Seagulls. We're very keen to know more about your involvement, how you started and the journey that you've been on so far. So in the time being, let's take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back for the second half of our chat with Manly Seagulls majority owner, Rick Penn. The Manly Warringah Seagulls thank our major partner, United Resource Management, for their ongoing support. Season 2020 is URM's 24th consecutive year sponsoring the Seagulls, and they are also big supporters of communities right across Australia. The Seagulls also thank Premier Partners, Shore and Partners Financial Services, Lotto Land, and all corporate partners of the club. For a full list of Seagulls corporate partners, head to seagulls.com.au. And welcome back for the second half of our chat today with Rick Penn. Rick, uh, in the first half, you mentioned that you were a keen sportsman growing up. Uh, rugby league, was it a game that you followed? Was it a game that you played? Well, I, did, I didn't play it, Ben. No, I didn't play it because, I, as I said, I went to England at 15. I've always, um, I've always followed it. I'm a keen keen follower i love oh my god i've had a lot tough time the last few months not being yeah, to watch sport uh, so really and in england but i think i mentioned to you before when i went to england actually would you believe i actually played hockey the most dangerous game i've ever played in my mm. life particularly with amateurs oh my god if i got hit by those bats and balls more than you can't believe it but no i've always um i played rugby at, at up sub sub 15 years of age but uh didn't play uh rugby rugby league mm-hmm. no but you enjoyed watching rugby league growing up. Oh, and then- look, I think it's, you know, I just think rugby league to me, and this is why I want to see it on the world stage. And I was just with the COVID thing. I wanted to see us be the first one out there. And Peter Vland is doing a fantastic job and uh, you know, what he's done. And uh, just it's such a shame. In a way, we haven't been able to get out there a little bit earlier because it's the, it's the fastest footy game and it's the toughest and it just... I mean, I, I look at the NFL now and, you know, you could have two minutes to go and 40 minutes later on the television, you've, you've actually seen the end of the match. Um, I mean, I, I, I like NFL, but I, it's nothing to me, com, to me compared to NRL. Absolutely. So how did it all start with the Manly Seagulls and your involvement uh, is coming on? Yeah, well, that, that's, a, that's a good question because really um, it, it actually started probably a couple of years before Heather and I physically or from a monetary point of view got involved with our, our son Scott. Our son Scott, he was doing, as I said, he took over as CEO of uh, Weight Watchers for us and um, he then had quite a bit of time in America, you know, sort of looking at the American market and I could think he could see over there a lot of the well, probably the well-off people in America, you know, the high high achievers over there loved owning a football team <laughs> and uh, and Scott was always, oh my God, a fanatic, a fanatic on... Um, on seagulls anyway, mm. and also too, his uncle is Peter Peters, of my, course. my brother-in-law. And so you're going back about 16 years ago now. He actually bought in with a couple of dollars of his own money. He bought in a small shareholding, I think, in the um, in the seagulls to be part of, just to be connected. And then when uh, a couple of years later, so about 14 years ago, probably yeah, about 2006, yes, um, 
it it obviously needed money and it needed uh, needed the you know m- much more financial support and that's when we were asked would we come in Heather and I mm. by Scott and, was Scott the one uh, who asked, yeah by or? Scott by mm-hmm. Scott absolutely absolutely and and we are look let me let me say the biggest thing for me the biggest I want everybody to be the best they can be but I get worried I mean, we've got six grandkids they're all doing well. But I get worried to see even a little two-year-old now on the iPhones. My gosh, I don't, you know, I, I want them to have the sporting involvement that we had. Do you know what I mean? I, and nothing, nothing gives me more satisfaction than to see mum and dad with a six and eight-year-old in the Seagulls gear coming to a game. Mm. That says to me, wow, we are still achieving the involvement of young people in Sport, yeah. It, nothing says that more for me than that, and that was my motive. Uh, that's been one of my principal motivations in in wanting to see that happen and come through. Obviously, the Seagulls and the and uh, the NRL. Well, it must be so pleasing when you're at the games then, and you're you're sitting there, and obviously it's pleasing when the team are winning, but it must just be just as pleasing when you just see the kids and the parents pouring through the gates, and uh, you know, especially when it's the kids dragging the parents in the gate. Yeah. Absolutely, Luke. Kids running onto the field yep. after uh, the game. Uh, look, I think we can even do more with all that. I, yeah. I just think that involvement at halftime and the kids. and The uh, mascot is sometimes the star of the show with the kids. <laughs> yes. yeah. I know my daughters absolutely love the mascot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, lovely, it's, a, it's a fabulous time. And it's just lovely to see mum and dad and the, and, the, and the family really enjoying it. You know, it, it's a connection. Mm. And, um, you know, they're going to have their favourite favorite players and, and, and situations. But that's my major, that's, that was really my major drive of wanting to be in there and as well as obviously help the and and, and at the time too we had to help out the uh, leagues club you know I, I think actually interesting with the leagues club I must admit I have a concept I, I just wish with gambling I'm not a gambler you know I'm, I'm not a, I'm not not against it but I'm not a you know I'm not a major gambler how, uh, how, didn't you just say that you invested in the sea yeah I know I know that's a pretty good gamble <laughs> well interesting <laughs> enough just on that I'll come back to I'll finish the gambling first and then I'll come back to your point there in investing because it's quite interesting but on the gambling wouldn't it be wonder I just watch those people on the pokies and what have you and those that win win a hundred bucks oh fantastic but those that lose isn't it wouldn't it be fantastic if all that money just went to sports? Yeah, sports development, sports promotion. I mean, that's where, I mean, you'd say, well, it's a win-win. Sometimes you win, and if you lose, hey, you're still giving. Well done, yeah. you're giving to that. So that's something I think there. Getting back to investing, you know, a funny thing is a lot of people think, oh, you own the seagulls. And I say, no. The fans own the seagulls. If you If you ever think... You own the Seagulls. It's the same as we've got a couple of heritage houses, one up north and one down Mossvale, the old Fairfax house. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, We love it. We love the heritage. But we're just caretakers. Mm. We don't own it. The country owns it. And I think that is so true of the football, Mm. you know, of of rugby, rugby league. You know, we, we, we actually are caretakers and we certainly come up, have to come up with the money. Somebody's got to come up with the money. But at the end of the day, if you think you own it, you're kidding yourself. I love that. That just really reminded me of something that I heard one of our players, and I won't embarrass him, but you can probably guess, he's the nicest bloke in our team. <laughs> <laughs> he may wear number 13. Um, he mentioned about it. not being, we said something about his jersey. He said, it's not my jersey. Yeah. I'm just I'm just filling that jersey for a bit. Yep. Um, there's been, every, I, 
we think the guy we're talking about, we think he's one of the most amazing players ever and one of the best blokes, but yeah. he just, he said exactly the same thing you said. I'm just a caretaker of it. Yep. Yep. So it's just, it's funny to hear that from a business perspective and an ownership perspective mm. down to a player. And I think that that's interesting. That's yeah. a credit to, to yourself and the rest of our ownership group of the culture in the club. But that filters through right down to the players. That's, yeah. That's fantastic. Be, because, it, I mean, let's face it, it hasn't been an easy journey. It hasn't been, oh, no. you know, if, uh, like, you know, we've, we've gone through a lot of success yep. since you've come on board, which must be wonderful. And, and I'd, love, uh, I'd love to touch on those grand final premiership yep. victories and that night and what it meant uh, to you and all the rest. But, you know, then you, you have the good and you have the bad and, you know, yep. If, if you're a believer of everything that's in the news, you think that, you know, Manly is a club where there's always inviting or something like that. So it, it must hurt you to a degree when those stories are brought up, you knowing the real story and how much you put into this club, both from a financial point of view, but from an emotional point of view as as well. Yeah, it... it um you know what? I, I think there's not. There is so much going on in your life, and and running a football club, there is so much going on. You really don't get a lot of time to to consider the down part. You, you're just looking at what can we do? What? Do, how do we overcome that? You know, what pathway can we get this on? And the, and the people. I mean, it's not. You know, we as a board, and and you know what? Interesting enough, we had some difficulties when we won the premiership in two thousand and eight. In 2011, with Des, in those days, I made it very clear: board, you do not select the players. Mm-hmm. That's up to the coach, and that's up to the management. We're there just to make sure we safeguard this operation, and that's what we're about. And that's what we've been about all the time. Yeah, we have never, ever, and we've always fought against anybody trying because there's a lot of emotion. A lot of people are very, um, uh, very emotive about their involvement. Uh, you know, and some people honestly think they know more <laughs> than the coach. Well, at the end of the day, he's the one. He's the one that's got to run the show. And I can't tell you that 2008, 2011 were just spent. It's just wonderful to have those. And of course, we had the two other grand finals outside it. But actually, mm. funnily enough, one of the best parts was going to Leeds in 2009 and winning the World Cup. That the, was the challenge. Oh, yeah. that was just absolutely sensational. And the Leeds people were wonderful. Yeah. Mind you, they're pretty much pro, obviously very pro their team. And but that was fantastic. And funnily enough, we, we took, you know, because we've we've actually got apartments on the ship the world. And we've got an American guy there who actually is a uh, uh, is quite a quite a well-known fellow. And uh, we t- he came, he actually flew over for our second one. Unfortunately, the one in 2012 we lost. But would you believe he's a multi, multi-millionaire guy. Um, and um, would you believe he won the, he won a thousand pounds. He took a, he took a ticket in the raffle and he won a thousand pounds, two thousand dollars. He didn't give a damn whether we won or not. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Out of all the people that needed to win that ticket, he was not the one. <laughs> but it's nice. You know, and there's an American, there's, and he's, oh, God, he's in his, he's 93 now. He's 93. But uh, they really appreciate it. They love the game. They love the, they love the um, rugby league and, um, and they loved our, our team. In fact, he wanted to bring it to America. He wanted mm. to bring the team to America. And I, you know, and I think, you know what, I honestly believe that one rugby, day, rugby day, league in America so. is not far off. 
it is not far off. Well, we are going to see, you know, opportunities with uh, ESPN and the rest as mm-hmm. um, uh, games are being broadcast into the States. And I know in the next broadcast rights, uh, I believe uh, Mr. Volandis is, is, has that high on his agenda. So yep. the opportunities for the Manly Seagulls and for the NRL is, is certainly there. And I, I did mention it before, Rick. I would love to know what that 2008 grand final evening was like. We've heard from players in the past about the celebrations and, of course, it was Beaver's last game and all the rest. Yeah. As someone who was so involved with the club and so excited about being a part of it, can you give us just 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 touch on what that evening meant to you and oh. the memories you have? Well, I, I, you know, you just, I must admit, you just think, you just know how hard the players have worked to get to that point and, and, and the coaching staff. You, I, I think it's, um, you know, it's interesting. You're just so delighted for them because, you know, you, when, you, when, you, when you're part of running a business like that, you do know who is actually the ones that make it, make it happen. Absolutely. And I think that uh, was just, uh, just sensational. And, and also, too, we had our family there. It was lovely with the grandkids. And, and, you know, it's just lovely seeing the grandkids get that kind of emotionally involved. And, mm. and then, then getting back to my previous you know, point earlier on where, you know, I really do want to see kids and I love seeing the kids with their mum and dad feel the you know, feel the passion of the whole thing. That's something that's uh, so special. And uh, my gosh, you can't get much more special on winning a grand final. Absolutely. You know, can you remember that you went down to the sheds afterwards? Oh, I yes. Presume? Oh, yes. Oh, just, just amazing. Soaked in champagne so, oh, and Gatorade. And- and- yeah. And just... Um, just the the glory of it all. It was yeah. just um, and everybody just being so up. It, it was just the loveliest feeling. Can you compare it to anything from a you know commercial point of view in your life previously? I mean, it's the euphoria of hitting the absolute yeah. high in their career objectives. Is there something that you yeah. can compare it to? Look, I think um, I took I took twenty of our senior staff and Weight Watchers to New York. Just as um, a bit of a reward, I mean, it's still business. It was still business at the time, mm-hmm. and we were we were still teaching America a fair bit too. So we were sharing a lot of our values and achievements. Um, I, I have to say, from a personal point of view, probably I felt a bit like the coach. I guess, sure. <laughs> you know, it was lovely to, and with their with, with their partners, husbands, wives, had about twenty of them over there, and I think that that collective. Seeing, you know, you, you can have a famous uh, television person or actor and what have you, but when you see a group, a whole group of people achieving something, it's 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 different. It is it's quite it's very special. It's very very special, and I think that's the you know it's just not a a one person thing, and and uh, how they all react, and you've got all different personalities, different personalities, but they've all together made it happen and I think when you get I, I think when you get a great outcome when everybody's come from a different background different you know sort of personality but all together they've actually gone and achieved something and then they, and then they and, and sometimes sometimes it's a bit of a shock to them too they, you know they, 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 they've taken the journey 
But sometimes I'm not suggesting everybody, even at that point in time, will will sort of absolutely understand what's happened. Yeah. But by golly, in a couple of years, reflecting back, they realise, wow, look what we did. And we've noticed that too with our, we, we did our uh, Live from the Pines Manly Moments series recently where we got a few of the legends from each grand final win in to, to basically com- commentate on it. And there were some that, I don't know whether they were all telling the truth, but there was a few <laughs> that said they'd never watched it uh, since, <laughs> since the day. Really? But you could just see their passion. And then that's when they... Then they ring the next day and say, what else can I do for the club? Yeah. Because it brings back that that passion for the club and yeah. the domino effect, I guess, from like you look at those players on the field when they win a when they win a grand final, but then that domino effect through their family and then their family's families yeah. and that that must make you feel like I know that I know it feels special when you see those kids wearing the jerseys, but oh. to feel that ripple effect through a whole community and I guess it links the seagulls back to your Weight Watchers days, to what Scott's doing these days. You're changing people's lives, aren't you? And you're making them healthier physically and mentally. Mm. Oh, you, you certainly are, Luke. You, you really are. And uh, also, too, there's a little bit of a pressure as well. So we'll, we'll be going since 1947, 47. 75 years next year. 75 mm-hmm. years next year. And also, too, you know, when you are the caretaker <laughs> there, we've, we've actually won a premiership in each decade. Mm. Thank goodness we won those two because oh Desi's back now. Uh, That's a, Desi's oh, that back. was part of the contract, oh, no. wasn't it? Well, Guaranteed. De- absolutely, Desi's got to win this one in the in the twenties decade. We've but got- to your point, you yeah. you will leave him to do the job to pick the team. You absolutely. know you've got the best person in there. Absolutely. And over no, no. to you, Desmond. Absolutely, Des. Yep. Use your use your school teacher background. <laughs> <laughs> we are very excited about the short term and and the long term future uh, of the club. Uh, the Fans, the members, the players, the ex-players, the staff—they they owe a debt of gratitude to the Penn family, and we are really thrilled to have you in today. Um, it's a pleasure for Luke and I uh, to be able to have a chat with you, and we wish we could go longer, but um, we uh, we're, we're thrilled to get an understanding from your perspective about what the club means to you your history in, in business and in commercial in Australia and how you've utilised those skills and experience into helping drive the Manly Seagulls to the club where it is today. Thanks very much, Ben and, and Luke. And thank you thank you for doing a great job that you're doing too for the Seagulls. It's uh, tough times, but you're doing a fantastic job. We couldn't be in better hands. Thanks oh, so much. I think the big takeaway today is uh, if you're going for your first day of your job, Wear a suit and tie and you'll be right. Absolutely. And I'd just like to also say how I think we're very fortunate to have Stephen Humphreys there too. He's, uh, um, I'm, glad he's, I'm glad he's come back from London. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I'm sure he's glad to be out of yeah. the travel game no, as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a terrific guy. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to have you. Uh, big thank you. Rick Penn, uh, major owner of the Manly Seagulls. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Thanks very much. This has been the Seagulls Business Podcast, presented by and recorded in the studios of Manly Media Partner, ASCII Live Media. You can follow the Seagulls on LinkedIn. For more episodes and other official Seagulls Podcast channel shows, head to seagulls.com.au forward slash podcast. This has been an ASCII Live Media production for the Manly Moringa Seagulls official podcast channel.